Hi guys, welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. This is your host, Rachel Mansfield. I am a cookbook author, recipe developer, mama, and wife, and probably the biggest Hugh Kitchen advocate on the planet. In today's episode, I am chatting with two of the founders of one of our most favorite brands over here, Hugh. You likely know Hugh because of their kick-ass dark chocolate bars, and they are absolutely exploding everywhere right now. They are the makers of my go-to chocolate for baking, snacking, and everything, as well as my favorite chocolate-covered nuts, aka their hunks, and grain-free crackers. And pre-COVID, you probably could have seen me over in their restaurant over in Union Square about four times a week. I even had like this spot in the corner where I would sit there, eat my lunch or my dinner, whatever, and what people watched while I like worked on my laptop. It was like my home away from home in the city and such, such an amazing place and happy place. I also got to meet so many of you guys there too, which was so, so cool. I have been a groupie of Hughes for years now, way before my blog or Instagram even existed. And to see their insane growth over the last few years has truly been so magical to watch. The founders have become dear friends of mine. And in this episode, you'll hear the full lowdown on how they got started their approach to food, and why Hue products stand out so much compared to anyone else in the market when it comes to the quality of ingredients, the taste, and everything. We also dive into why the restaurant closed, what is to come for Hue, and you get to listen firsthand to the brother and sister duo, Jordan and Jessica, who started the brand along with Jessica's husband, Jason. I love Hue so, so much to the point where we actually invested in the brand a couple of years ago, and I honestly feel like a proud parent slash groupie when I see exciting news come out about them or like anything that has to do with Hue. I just get so giddy inside. It's like I like geek out over it. Recently, they got into the Northeast Costco with their gems, which is awesome. So if you live in the Northeast, you go to Costco. If you don't go to Costco, find someone who has a membership and go stock up on gems. And just seeing their products in general on so many shelves and retailers right now is so cool. And just seeing you guys enjoying it makes me the happiest person. And if you haven't tried Hughes products yet, I have a hard time believing that, but a thousand percent place your order with them today. And if you use my code Rachel, R-A-C-H-L, you can get free shipping on their site. You can't go wrong with literally anything that they sell, but a few of my personal favorites, Definitely the cashew butter and vanilla bean chocolate bar, the almond butter and puffed quinoa chocolate bar. So good. The nut nut butter like ooze out of the bar when you take a bite. And like especially the one with the puffed quinoa, it has like that Nestle crunch consistency. Then they also have like the vanilla crunch bar too, which is definitely one of my favorites. The crunchy mint, which I like to keep in the refrigerator and then it's like a thin mint. The gems, of course, are like the little chocolates I bake with. And you're great for snacking too. And every single cracker flavor and the hunks are just beyond addicting. When you're listening to this episode, definitely tag us over on Instagram. Share this with all of your Hue-loving friends and family and anyone who's really looking to start a brand of their own. I love bringing on founders of these amazing companies because their stories are so inspiring and they're very relatable. And it also just shows that all of these brands that you look at and you're like, oh my gosh, they're so awesome. Like, I can't believe how do they do this? They're taking the time to share their stories with you guys and with us. And it's just very, very like it makes me so grateful to be able to bring these founders on to share their stories with you because it's so inspiring to listen to. And if you have a moment to rate and review the podcast, you guys know how much that means to me at this point. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Megafood. As you guys heard in my last couple of episodes, Megafood and I go way back and their products are an absolute staple in my supplement cabinet. At this point, we all know that adding the superfood turmeric into our diet is a game changer. I personally stink at remembering to sprinkle it on roasted veggies and things. And I also just don't genuinely love the taste of like turmeric on my sweet potato fries. And that is where I turn to Megafood's turmeric strength for whole body. It combines whole foods and extracts that support a healthy response to inflammation, has real farm fresh turmeric root and pure turmeric extract in it. Plus, they also have the turmeric powder and gummies if you prefer. Everything has been awesome and very, very easy to incorporate into my daily diet, which I love. I have been sneaking the powder into my chia puddings all the time for breakfast and actually recently shared my pecan pie chia pudding recipe over on Instagram. Definitely check that out because it has like 
candied caramelized pecans on top and it's so, so good. All of Mega Foods products are non-GMO, tested for more than 125 herbicides and pesticides, and they are all gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan, or vegetarian, and soy-free, which is something really rare in vitamins and supplements, believe it or not. A lot of brands sneak soy into there, which is just very unnecessary in my opinion. If you want to order anything from Megafood, you can use the code RACHEL, R-A-C-H-L, for 15% off your first order, and I link to everything over in the show notes for you guys. So head on over to megafood.com and use the code RACHEL and stock up on anything and everything you need. Now let's dive into today's episode. I am sitting here with Jordan and Jessica, the siblings and co-founders behind truly like my beloved brand. I've been a groupie of you, you guys know, for forever. And to be sitting here with you both to bring you on the podcast is just so incredibly exciting. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It's so nice to see you. It's been a long time. I know. Well, I know that my community is a huge fan of you because for obvious reasons, but when I, every time I share recipes that have to do with your chocolate and the crackers and stories, and when I used to be in the restaurant, everyone, there was just so much love and energy and excitement surrounding the brand. And every time I'd be pulling Instagram to see what brands they want me to bring on, which founders to tell their stories, Hugh was always so highly requested, which makes me so happy because it's such a treat to get to talk to people that I'm already friends with and know and get to bring on and share their stories. So I'd love to kind of open up and have you both introduce yourselves and kind of say a little bit about about both of you. Sure, uh, I'll start. First of all, thank you for having us on. Uh, this is going to be fun, and uh, thank you for all the support throughout the years. It's, the years have really flown, and you've been you know a big part of our presence. So thank you, Rachel, for everything you've done for us. How many years have we been working together already? A long time. I, Just I like four. Myself you groupie I think for seven or eight years it was before I got married so I remember living on 26th street and 8th avenue which was a 10 minute walk to you guys and going down there pretty much every night and at that point I had no money and blowing all my money at Hugh on like paleo chocolate chip cookies the bagels focaccia bread everything and that was before my Instagram and blog had even started so that was a long time ago and so to see you guys grow it like I was talking to Gabby earlier. It like, makes me emotional like to watch you guys have like blossomed. It's really nice to hear that. But anyway, my name is Jordan Brown, co-founded Hugh with my sister, Jessica Karp, who's on the line here, and uh, her husband, Jason, Jason Karp. Um, and um, Hugh has really been a passion project that's really taken off uh, in an exciting way. Um, it was, uh, I, I came from the real estate world, had no food background whatsoever but got very inspired along with my co-founders by um, alternative diets uh, for me personally in uh, around 2008, 2009, got very into paleo, anti-inflammatory diets, gluten-free, back when they were very fringy and um, people would roll their eyes at you when you would talk about it or, uh, or, or implement um, you know, uh, its teachings into your own life as part of your own life and um, got extremely passionate about it and we saw an opportunity to turn it into a business. Didn't know what the business was going to be. Was it going to be a restaurant? Was it going to be packaged goods? What, what, was it going to be both? And it ultimately turned out to be both, uh, as, as we all know. And um, so I left my real estate career. Uh, I was doing real estate development. And uh, to really uh, focus my entire life on building this brand and uh, turn it into something special. Um, and we've you know, had some luck along the way. Very fortunate. And, um, and that, you know, that brings us to where Hugh is today, which, uh, you know, we, we look to combine uh, ultra simple ingredients with uh, nostalgic deliciousness um, and, and doing it in a way that, that's very unique in the marketplace. And um, so very happy to be here. And I'll shut up now and let my sister talk. As Jordan said, we, we co-founded Hugh together with my husband. I, just like Jordan, had no food background whatsoever. I spent uh, seven years in finance at Morgan Stanley before we started Hugh. And then I had a brief stint in commercial real estate, which really wasn't for me. And I came to this party, so to speak, a little bit kicking and screaming. Um, Jordan and my husband kept trying to kind of, you know, enforce the philosophy that we now know and love as, as what Hugh stands for. But I just was, I was kind of, as Jordan likes to call me at the time, a calorie counter. And I was buying 
you know, the hundred calorie packs of cookies and whatever else. And as long as it was, you know, I didn't care what chemicals were in my food. And then long story short, I had a child. I had my daughter who's now almost 12. Wow. I can't believe that's how long ago this was. But uh, she, when I started to have to feed her food, I thought, wait a second, I, 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 what I'm putting in her body has to be so perfect. So what am I putting in my own? And so that was when I really started thinking about making changes and Jordan really kind of guided me on my journey to, to help and my husband, but pushed me, I would say, but in, on my journey to kind of embrace simple ingredients, real food and, and eating the Hue way and, and um, embracing it and loving it. And, you know, it's been a long time that it, it's, it's incredible how, how 180 I've, I've gone in terms of the chemicals and the calorie counting and all of that to real food. And I know you've had your own journey with some of that type of stuff too. And it's, it's, it's just exciting to be where we are. No, 100%. I couldn't relate more to like 100 calorie packs, yeah. like 80 calorie yo play yogurts and chewy granola bars and everything yep. was just so heavily processed and filled with gunks and fake sugars. And I had like an IV of Diet Coke into my arm for a solid decade. Um, it was like my everything now, but to see like, to view food so like holistically. And I remember one of the first times I went into the restaurant, I looked for like nutrition labels, like for like the food that was prepared. And I was like, so still fixated, like eating food that was like served at like your restaurant and then just like products in general, just like learning that, like how much better I felt, how much more energized I felt. And just, you know, learning the importance of fueling your body with things that aren't processed shit was like, you know, revolutionary at the time. Now, Jordan, what kind of like drew you to like the paleo-esque diet? Because like you said, that was really before this was quote popular, any sort of mainstream. Like now everyone really knows what that is, but no one knew what that was like a decade ago. Yeah. Uh, just, I just want to touch on before I answer that, just one thing that you said a minute ago that, that really resonates uh, with me hearing it because it was really a, a huge component of how he came about. We used to have on our packaging when we first opened um, a quote that said, the bar for I feel fine is set way too low. And what that means is, and it happened in our own lives too, as Jessica alluded to, is that a lot of people don't realize how good they can actually feel. They don't know what good feels like until they experiment with going ultra simple with your ingredients. And in, in our world, the Hue the style of eating is, is, is the way that we say you can feel that way. And so when you, you know, when your full focus is on calories, ca counting calories, not looking at ingredient labels, not looking for the simplicity of ingredients, you're not giving yourself the opportunity to get back to human and feel what good really feels like. And that was one of the major reasons why we started Hue. In terms of paleo, in my journey, which started, you know, 2008, 2009, I read one book on sort of like anti-inflammatory holistic nutrition or uh, integrative nutrition by Dr. Mark Hyman, uh, who's, a, who's a, a big friend of the brand now. And that really set me off on uh, reading everything and anything I get my hands on in terms of alternative diets. And I would try things out for 30 days at a time. I would cut ingredients, bring back in, see how I felt, see what made me uh, sleep better, what made my skin better, on and on and on. And um, during that journey, I came across this very fringy topic of paleo diet. Had no idea what it was, but I started reading about this, and I'm like, "Wait a second! Cutting out grains? You know, I, I learned I had learned about gluten, but what is this whole cutting out grains things and vegetable oils and on and on and on and on?" And I said, "Okay, that's very unique. That's something that's right, that looks like it's right up my alley. Let me give it a try." So I did, and for me personally, nothing worked better faster, felt better, slept better, less achy joints, skin was better. All around, it just worked for me. And the beauty of it was that it was a really, it was the focus is on high quality ingredients, not sort of like weird ingredients to hit macronutrient profiles. It was really high quality ingredient that's, ingredients that just made sense. And so I, I, I really uh, adopted it in my personal life and I thought that it would be a terrific way for Hugh to differentiate itself even more. And then obviously, you know, as uh, it withstood the test of, of time over these number of years, it became quite popular. So that's how we came, uh, came across paleo and then put it into the Hue business. And also, I'm sure you realize that there was such limited 
food options for someone who was like a dining out at the time, especially in Manhattan, which is like, you know, the heart of like so much health and wellness and newness there. But also if you wanted something for dessert, if you want to grab a bar of chocolate, there was nothing for you to really have that was sweetened with unrefined sugars. So what, which came first, the restaurant or chocolate? So um, technically they were introduced to the world at the exact same time when the restaurant opened in late 2012. But um, the genesis of the chocolate is because of the restaurant. And as when we were developing the restaurant, the menu, the ingredient rules, that became such a big part of our brand. And, I, and that's on our current packaging and what we call our list of no's, which everyone who's had our products know that we list out everything that we did not use. Um, that all started with the restaurant before it opened. And so those ingredient rules apply to everything in the restaurant. If we were going to create a brand that really stood for something, we had to be strict with our rules and we had to stick to them, right? And so when chocolate came about, we, we were – sorry, let me step back for a second. We, we wanted a very robust baked goods program in the Hugh Kitchen restaurant. Uh, grain-free cookies, grain-free brownies, blondies, on and on and on. I see you nodding your head. But, you, know. said we, you couldn't get any of that anywhere at the time. You had to, yeah, yeah. And there, it wasn't like there was a, a ton of these recipes online for people at the time either. So Exactly. So, but what came along with that was that our bakers needed chocolate. And at the time, the only chocolate that really fit our ingredient rules uh, was raw chocolate that was either just outrageously expensive or too harsh and didn't taste good. Uh, or it didn't bake very well. And the other options either had cane sugar, had dairy, had uh, soy lecithin in it, things that we that were not allowed in the restaurant. So we were sort of at an impasse to, to find a compliant chocolate for those bakers to bake with, because it wouldn't make sense for the entire restaurant to be cane sugar free, except for the chocolate in our, in our baked, in our chocolate chip cookies. It didn't make sense to build a brand that way. So we decided to make our own chocolate that fit the ingredient rules. And uh, it was delicious chocolate. And we decided, hey, let's turn it into chocolate bars as well. And the day we opened, they were on our shelves in the restaurant, uh, created a, a bit of a cult following right away. And then five short months later, we were off to the races selling those chocolate bars in other stores outside of our four walls. That's so cool because you almost had like a, like a test kitchen of sorts where you like were probably able to prove like sales data too just by having your restaurant and showing like, hey, we are selling these chocolates here. Like, these are our, our you know our sales each day, blah, blah, blah. But like to be able to leverage that to bring into retailers is really cool. What was the first chocolate bar flavor? Go ahead, Jess. Well, we had, we had what? At first there were six, Jordan? Yeah, with, uh, I think it was five actually. So we launched with five simultaneously. The most difficult one, also the most popular one, was this um, uh, very unique almond butter with puff quinoa chocolate bar that uh you know there was really nothing like it at the time it was very difficult and still is very difficult to make but people just went absolutely berserk for this bar i and, remember uh, we sold out of it so quickly i mean we never thought yeah. we would have it and we had signage all around the restaurant when it came back like alerting yeah. everybody that it was finally back because it was it was as jordan said it was so special and so unique and people who were starting to experiment with eating this way suddenly had something to eat that was indulgent, but you know, a mindful indulgence and, and something that didn't make them feel crappy. Well, it's so good. It reminds me of like a Nestle crunch bar. Cause it has like a little bit of like the crunch, but then it has like that creaminess that like I love and like a Reese's or like something that's going to like have like that, like nutty, creamy, buttery type um, consistency. The almond butter and the cashew butter flavors are both my two like personal Personal favor. So sorry, which other ones did you launch with? Almond so, we, so it was almond butter puff quinoa, which was the, the rock star of the line, um, which, I, you know, I like to think sort of put us on the map. And then there was obviously simple, the plain chocolate. There was salty chocolate, which had um, uh, sort of hand deposited uh, uh, flakes of salt that you can see on the back of the bar. Uh, we make it a little bit differently now, but that's how it originally launched. Uh, there was a mint bar and then there was uh May it, rest in, may, may it rest in peace. One of our favorite bars of all time called, uh, it was originally called Fruit and Nut, and then, it, and then it, the name changed to Crunchy Fig, and then it landed on Why the Fig Nut, like Why the Fig Nut and Why the Fig Nut over the years. And uh, it was such a delicious bar. It had little pieces of fig morsels in it and so also good. a piece of almond. But the problem is that's, it's not a particularly sexy sounding bar. So it, it, it was too much of a hurdle to get people to try it 
right? But once people tried it, they would love it. But a lot of times, uh, you're you're sort of at the mercy of, of what a label uh, can do for you uh, on a product, and that pe- it's just very hard to get people to try a bar. So that 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 eventually got discontinued. I tried. That, that was the lineup. We thought it was just the name, but yeah. We couldn't get people to love it like we did. I like that bar, but I'm a, I love figs and dried fruit and like everything. But I, for, I actually forgot about that flavor until you just said that. That one yeah. and the Earl Grey one. There used yeah. to be Earl Grey chocolate flavor too. There, there was Earl Grey for a little while, I think probably for four or five months. And then we just had some some sourcing issues with it. So we had to discontinue it. But that bar also was, was absolutely delicious. It's funny. We look back at some of the things that we launched with. We actually used to have, uh, you know, our Hunks product now, which is just chocolate cover. We have almonds, cashews, and uh, <laughs> golden berries. Sorry, I was. I have a bag with me. I was eating them, but they're oh, all right here. They're like always with me. Yeah. Well, we, we we launched in the restaurant with with similar types of products, and one of them was was chocolate covered figs. And um, this is this was, those. Those yeah, this, was this is before we you know we learned a lot about intellectual property. We're like, let's call them figgy smalls, and so. <laughs> They launched as Figgy Smalls for like two or three months, and then and then I, I kind of recall I'm like, wait a second, this doesn't, I don't think we can do this. And so we consulted with our uh, intellectual property attorneys, like, yeah, you can't do that. So we stopped that very quickly, but uh, that was a fun one. So what was it like when you guys had the rush and you saw people were like coming in? I mean, over the years, obviously, you guys had a very heavily trafficked restaurant, and we're gonna we'll get to the restaurant in a bit too, just to talk more about that, but. When did you kind of like know when you were there, like, wow, like our chocolate's actually going to change the world. Like this is going to be something. Like when did you kind of take this and and, and run with it and kind of like get into retailers like Whole Foods and kind of take it more nationwide? Let, I'll sort out, let me answer for one second and then you can go, go into kind of the Whole Food piece of it. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you asked earlier about which came first, the, the restaurant or the chocolate or the packaged goods, and when we were deciding to open a business or to launch a business, we were, we were torn about which one we should do first, the package goods or, and we didn't know which package good it was be, it would be. I mean, if you asked us, if you said it was going to be chocolate, I think we would have said no way. I mean, it was literally not. No way. No chance. But um, we, we ultimately decided that because what we were doing was so new and fringy and, and people hadn't heard of it, that we needed to have a brick and mortar location to build the trust in the brand. Because everything about our brand, as you know, is about trust and people knowing what our ingredients are and transparency. And in order to gain that trust with the brand, we wanted to have a physical location. And I think that was really critical for us in terms of the progression of the brand itself. Again, we were lucky enough that our chocolate was so amazing. And then, you know, Jordan can talk a little bit about the progression into Whole Foods was, was our first store and, and that, but, but having the physical location to make people understand what we were trying to do was super important. And I think really set the trajectory of our brand as being a, a all about transparency and having the loyalty that we have started with the restaurant. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, there was, uh, like Jess said, we, we didn't really know how we were initially going to launch. And then we said, okay, this is the way to do it uh, with a brick and mortar place. And what was very interesting was that um, so much effort went into the design of that restaurant. It, it, it was not a cheap restaurant to build. <laughs> um, and because everything we did was so calculated on what we wanted people to feel when they walked into this place, right? People needed to know this is this new brand. And they, the goal was to have them be immersed in what, what feelings we wanted people to have when they, when they ate at our restaurant and when they ultimately ate our products. So everything we did was, you know, uh, gumbied sort of undulating walls, right? This feeling of very organic, natural, non sort of like right angle, straight lines. Everything we did was, was very calculated. And um, people would walk in and they would say, what, you know, is this, is this, a, is this some sort of chain? Is this some sort of chain restaurant that's that's all about this sort of very unique uh, architecture? And the answer obviously was no, but it put us on the map um, as as a very unique place. So that was that was very very important. In and people of, wanted to be there because of it. Yeah, um, I would say we 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 gained a lot of customers who might not have known what our food was about at first or cared, frankly. But they saw, you know, we used to call it kind of that third place. 
not your home, not your office, but somewhere that you're going to spend a lot of your time and be. And, and again, that's kind of the growth of the brand came from that feeling, which was so strategic and thought about ahead of time. That was so critical. Yeah. There's something in, in our, in our family that we, I mean, it's not really a unique thing, but we say we look for things that are cozy and we wanted to create a very cozy Especially place. you. Yeah. I, I like, <laughs> I like the word cozy. So we wanted to create this very cozy, warm place. And, uh, and, and we did, and, and we think people really appreciated it. So in, ter- in terms of the, of the chocolate, um, like we mentioned before, it started out in the restaurant and, and took off very quickly in popularity with people who were coming to the restaurant. The problem was that uh, we really had nowhere to store the chocolate in the restaurant. It was too hot. There was nowhere to do it. So I, I agreed. I only lived one block north to, to keep it at my apartment until we could figure something else out. And so as that lasted uh, a lot longer than we thought it would. Yeah. It wound up lasting like over three years, but that's a whole other story. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so um, it started to take off and there would, it would just be more and more. We need to produce more and more. And then one of our, uh, one of our, our our employees, one of our original sous chefs, sous sous chefs, it's difficult to say plural, sorry. One of our sous chefs, his uh, girlfriend at the time uh, worked at uh, Whole Foods in Columbus Circle and absolutely loved the product. And so, uh, you know, we made an arrangement for it to be on the shelves of Whole Foods Columbus Circle, which ultimately became the first store we were ever in. Um, it was very expensive at the time, even more than it is now. And uh, that was our first store. And that was five months after we opened the restaurant. So call it March of 2013. By the end of 2013, we were in around 40 stores. Um, all, you know, uh, being uh, picked and packed and filled from my apartment. I would deliver it uh, in, you know, a suitcase on the subway. Um, and uh, so we hustled our way into a lot of different stores in the tri-state area, mostly Manhattan. And it, and then it just it literally just kept growing from there. And, um, you know, till to, to now we're in, uh, you know, by, by early next year, we'll be in over 5,000 stores. But it really all started with that one store. So, you know, quick shout out to Whole Foods for giving us a chance. Um, and we grew within that chain, um, and they've been a terrific partner. But that's how that's how the, the product line grew. That's so funny because I actually didn't realize that Whole Foods was your first store when mm-hmm. I asked that when I asked that question. Um, I mean, now the second you- second store. The first store was always Hugh Kitchen. <laughs> that's like it's whole first third party store. Oh right. well, right. Actually, I was going to wait to talk about the restaurant but since we did dabble in it in um, the previous conversation. I'd love to kind of bring up. The fact that, you know, during COVID, you guys unfortunately had to close your doors for the restaurant, which I was like more, I still am like mourning over that. You, I probably saw you guys there. I was in there four to five days a week, like literally there. Talk about cozy. I used to sit on the second floor with my laptop and like had a spot where I could watch everyone as I'd like work and like people watch all day. <laughs> that was like my personal home away from home was I live in Hoboken. So it was my place in the city. It was such an amazing hub to just like see people like back when people could see people, but you know, people would travel in and that's like the first place they'd want to go if they were, you know, very passionate about the wellness and healthier food. And it was just always filled with so many amazing people and the food was just so good. It was like a meeting spot. And I remember when I saw the Instagram post, (laughs) I was like croaking over. I couldn't believe it. And then I was getting like, people were sending me their condolences about the restaurant closing. And I remember I called Gabby. I was like distraught. I'm like, I can't believe this. What's going on? And obviously, like selfishness aside, it's not the time and the place right now um, to really have a restaurant. Like who knows? No one would have thought in March that this would still be, you know, really going on as much as it is now today in October. So can you talk a little bit about the restaurant and like why you guys had decided to close it? Like anything you're comfortable sharing? It was one of the most heavily asked questions from my Instagram community. Sure. Jess, you want me to take this one? Sure, go ahead. Cool. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for the, the very kind words on, on that place. We were very proud of Hugh Kitchen. It's, um, it's how Jess, Jason, and I uh, entered the food world. It's how we brought this brand to life. We are so proud of it, and we like to think that we, we really created an, that place was an institution. It had an amazing close to eight year run in a very difficult industry. And, and what we did there was, was, was literally a scratch kitchen because so many of the ingredients we used, um, you, you couldn't buy that stuff. Like you couldn't buy finished goods that, that fit the specs of what we did. 
And so, so much, we, and also we did a ton of things there. It was not an easy operation. We made it easier over the years, but it was difficult. We wanted to do so many things and bring this style of eating to every single meal in people's lives, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, market, you name it, we did it there. So it was a very difficult operation to run. Um, and it became this sort of like beacon of uh, alternative styles of eating, anti-inflammatory, paleo, gluten-free, grain-free. So it had an amazing run. We're very, very proud of it. Over the years, um, our packaged goods business, which started with chocolate and now includes various chocolate lines and obviously crackers in the baked, in the baked goods aisle. And that business had, had uh, become the focus and had become uh, the larger part of our business that we were, that we were focused on growing. Um, and the restaurant obviously was a major part of our brand. It was terrific for marketing. It was terrific for people to come in and watch people and, and again, be immersed in this brand. But when COVID hit, we really had to sit back and say, okay, we're obviously shutting down. That was in early March when we shut down. And the intention was to open up, but no one knew where the world was going to be, obviously. And then time went on and time went on and time went on. And our focus, you know, continued to be on our, on our package goods business. And so after, uh, you know, I think it was June or July, where we officially made the decision to no longer, uh, to not open it again. Um, it, it was not an easy decision. Obviously, you know, our, it was a board decision. And um, we said, okay, you know, we don't know when the restaurant would be, be able to open again. We don't know in, you know, what the world of restaurants in New York City will be. Let's shut it down. Has, has had an amazing run and focus all of our efforts onto our packaged goods business. So it was really just a focus thing in a very uncertain time for uh, for restaurants, especially in New York City. What was the feedback like when you guys had announced that you were closing? I mean, you know, a lot of what, what you had said, right? You know, shock, disbelief. People were sad. We were sad. It was a really hard decision. And, you know, you have to kind of put your emotions aside with that type of decision and, and think like a business owner and not just like a, a passionate founder. You have to have both sides of that. And we, so the, the outpouring of love and support of, of, like Jordan said, you know, our foundation was, was incredible and it made us happy. I mean, you know, hearing you describe it makes me happy and sad at the same time because I miss it. And being in Austin now, when I did go back to New York and I went in early February. And so I got my last kind of fix of, of our chicken tenders, which my kids still talk about and miss. But it was the right thing for our brand and the timing. And, you know, the world is very messed up right now. And we did what we, what we thought and still think is, was the right thing to do. And, you know, restaurants in New York, I feel it's, it's complicated to run a restaurant in New York in the best of times. Yeah. So I really, I think about restaurant owners in New York City right now all the time. When I think about inspections and then how much harder it is now for them, you know, it's, it's tough. It's a little, have you guys been back into the city at all since, since the pandemic? Yeah, I've, I've been back a couple times and uh, it was eerie to be in the space, uh, be in Hugh Kitchen. It was very weird, but it was also very proud and sort of bittersweet. And um, we wound up actually demolishing Hugh Kitchen um, and, and basically gutting it to, to the bare walls because we said, look, like I said before, so much uniqueness in terms of design and architecture and everything in that place was very unique. And if it's going to go, it's going to go. And we don't want someone reusing it for other purposes. Exactly. And I, we just couldn't sit there and, ha- and, and see it used in other ways. Like all of our unique cave walls, all the unique wood. It was, it was, that was Hugh and it was nothing else. And we, we wouldn't let someone else take it and use it and repurpose it. It was just, it was just too important to us. Let's take a quick minute to chat all about hair care. Now, I used to spend hours and hours Googling best products for hair growth or how to have healthy looking hair. I was literally all over the place. This is about a decade ago, trying to find the best of the best, like what to use for my hair to make it look healthy and grow and all of that stuff that I know so many of you guys are either in this position or have been in a similar position. And I have come to the conclusion that it comes down to a few simple things. Number one, eat a wholesome diet filled with healthy fats, 
carbs, protein. Number two, not washing your hair more than two to three times per week if you can. I wash mine once and I swear this has helped so much with like hydration and like making my hair look healthy and I'm convinced it like grows faster when I'm not like scrubbing it so hard in the shower every single day. And lastly, number three, find the hair care that works for your hair, which is why I love Pros so much. Pros creates custom products for every single customer based off of an in-depth consultation you take on their site. Seriously, it was the most like in-depth online quiz I had ever taken. It was so helpful and I learned so much about my own hair I need just from like taking the quiz. They ask you questions like where you live so they could take the weather and the humidity into account for your hair. And Pros makes all clean and responsibly made products that are free of parabens, sulfates, GMOs, and anything like cruel, yucky, and gross that you do not want to put into your hair. And their products actually work. And plus, they're a B Corp certified company. I use their pre-shampoo mask, which was totally new for me. There's like a pre-shampoo mask for your scalp and for like the length of my hair. And I use that once a week with their shampoo and their conditioner. I'm honestly like religious about using these hair products now. I'm so impressed with how clean and smooth and hydrated my hair looks every single time to the point where I brought it with me to the salon a few weeks ago when I got my hair done because I like didn't want to use someone else's shampoo and conditioner in the mask. I just was like, hi, can you use my pros products? I love them so much. Every pros bottle is made to order for you and you can get 15% off of your first order today with my code RACHEL. Go to pros.com slash RACHEL. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash rachel r-a-c-h-l for your free in-depth hair quiz and 15% off of your order now let's get back to today's episode now do you think that you guys would ever take some of the recipes like for the paleo bagels and the focaccia bread the chicken fingers and the zucchini cheese like whatever it was in that zucchini cheese on the bacon egg. <laughs> Um, and kind of repurpose them anywhere where people could like bring them into their own homes, the recipes, we've talked about make some of them and sell them. We've talked about a cookbook, which we might do at some point. Timing wasn't right now to do it. I mean, you have your own cookbook, you know, what's involved in that. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think you, you had mentioned this before about how the restaurant could be kind of like a test kitchen, which it really was to us in a lot of ways. I mean, there were times we had kind of special uh, chocolate flavors that we would try. I think we tried the Earl Grey in the restaurant first, mm-hmm. didn't we, Jordan? Yes, and we there were others. There were some others we did, and like there was some grapefruit one we did once, which we obviously didn't do again. And <laughs> but but you're able to really get. We were able to get customer feedback out of that. So. You know, down the road, I, I don't, who knows? We could have a pop-up somewhere. We could have, I don't know. It, we're, we're open to seeing where our brand takes us in the future. And one thing on, on the restaurant, that the, the poem that we posted, which I assume was the post that you saw when, when it was revealed, uh, we really poured our heart into that poem. So anyone uh, who was a fan of the restaurant who has not read that poem, it, it gives a shout out to everyone who made that place amazing over the years. It wasn't certainly not even close to just three of us, all the staff that was there, all the customers who came in, uh, all the consultants who helped us. It was really a huge team effort to make that place what it was and, and, and the place that, that put our brand on the map. So, so thank you for talking about the restaurant, Rachel. I think that the good part, the silver lining about all this happening is that now you have, you know, so much more focus on the packaged goods part of you, which is obviously selfishly, I wish that the restaurant was still open so I could eat there every day, but you can reach the masses now when you are trying to get your chocolate out and the crackers and the hunks. And I would love to kind of dive into more about the products and Mm -hmm. themselves. And first with the chocolate, a lot of people were asking why you guys chose coconut sugar as the unrefined sugar. So if you're Mm -hmm. uh, wanted to speak to that a little bit. In terms of, uh, in terms of coconut sugar, why that was the chosen sugar, this goes back uh, a long time to, really, you know, 2009, 2010, when we were formulating those rules um, and, and really embodying uh, you know, a trajectory that would put us on this paleo style of eating. So as we were doing our own research, as we were trying new products, we started to look into, okay, what are, what are the best types of sweeteners, especially if you want to eat like a paleo style, if you want to eat in like a paleo style and live that way. 
And so there was a lot of literature, people saying this works, this, this is better for blood sugar, this is better for that. We read all of that, digested it, and came up with a short list of you know, paleo-friendly sweeteners. And at the top of that list for us was, was unrefined coconut sugar. And forget about getting into all of the science because that's those are you know heated debates that people have all the time. We didn't really want to get into that. We wanted a paleo-friendly sweetener that most importantly made us feel good after eating it. No crash, no sluggishness. And, and again, this was just our own experience with it. We felt great after adding, after after having unrefined coconut sugar in our chocolate, whereas we felt sluggish after eating chocolates with refined sugars and cane sugar. So personally for us, that was the best possible sugar that we could have, and that's why we chose to use it. And, it, and I guess the benefit at the time, it was quite difficult to get um, uh, you know, a steady supply of that stuff. Now, obviously, it's much easier, but um, it was a little bit of a barrier to entry because it was difficult to get. And um, that's why we chose it, because it made us feel good, and it was a paleo-friendly sweetener. Jordan, I would also add, and correct me if I'm wrong, but some of the, when we were looking for chocolates before we decided to get, to make our own, because we couldn't find an alternative, there were some alternative sweeteners in chocolate, whether it be honey or otherwise, that, that yeah. didn't, didn't bake very well when we used them. Um, mm -hmm. And so some of those other sweeteners are, are wetter or have different, different reasons why they don't bake as well or hold up as well in bars or baking. So totally. Totally. We, we looked at honey, we looked at maple, some, you know, we just, we didn't like them as much as the, as the unrefined coconut sugar. And uh, like I said earlier in, in, uh, in our conversation, a, a lot of the potentially compliant chocolates were just either just way too expensive or raw chocolate, which we didn't love the taste of. A lot of times it was just too harsh. So it wasn't for us. In terms of, uh, does that answer your question, Rachel? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I personally just for baking and cooking, like prefer coconut sugar mm -hmm. for, for anything. I think it also just like adds really good flavor yeah. uh, and the consistency to things. But yeah, yeah, I'd love to just kind of talk about why, you know, when you pick up a chocolate bar in a conventional grocery store, you look at the back, it usually has some form of soy in it, it has some form of like, you know, some type of bite, like a gum, like something you don't need into chocolate. So I'd love for you to kind of explain why you guys shied away from those and like that one of, that's one of the main reasons why Hue chocolate stands out so much on the shelf. Sure. So um, part of the Hue brand from day one has always been to let's turn a product over and look what's in it. And if we don't really understand what's in it, let's either try to understand what's in it and then use it or understand what's in it and make the determination that it is a quote weird ingredient that people are not going to understand and it shouldn't really be in this and there has to be another way to make said product and that is literally how we've operated since day one chocolate was no different so the main rules of our chocolate line were no dairy because hugh was a, a dairy-free um, restaurant establishment so it's dark chocolate you know inherently a dark chocolate then we started to look at the sweeteners which we spoke about a moment ago we wanted the best quality sweetener that made us feel really good and that was paleo uh, paleo friendly so we went with the unrefined, uh, unrefined coconut sugar. Then we started to delve a little deeper and we said, okay, here's something that we've never heard of before. Again, this is going back a long time. What is, what is soy lecithin? Now you see sunflower lecithin, but, but what, what exactly is that? And why is that in there? So for lack of better words, lecithins and gums are emulsifiers. They, you know, they keep things together. Um, they're in all sorts of packaged goods. In chocolate, they don't really have that function. They're more there, like a soy lecithin is there to um, replace some of the cocoa butter in, in the product and, and because it's cheaper than cocoa butter. And so we don't love the texture when there's soy less than in a, in a chocolate. We always thought it was sort of wax, waxy and a little weird. Um, and it certainly didn't fit the bill of no weird ingredients, which is what Hugh has always been about. And so we said, okay, we're not gonna have soy lecithin in our product. We're gonna have only, you know, only cocoa butter uh, for that function. It's definitely more expensive, but we think it's tastier and it fits the bill of no weird ingredients, things that everyone understands reading that label. And it's funny, you know, you say uh, the list of no's. The reason why we did that, and that first appeared on our products in, uh, in 2014, because we said, we're going through these great lengths to give people the most approachable, ultra simple ingredients in our product. And it shouldn't be that you're required to turn the product over and sort of like understand that for yourselves. 
we're going through these great lanes. People should know about it. They should understand what we are not using in, in, their, in our products. Because unfortunately, the way that uh, the packaged foods world has been probably since the 1950s or 40s with all this sort of weird, funky food science is that um, you have to highlight what's not in your food. It's unfortunate, but that's the reality. And if we're going to be doing that and therefore our products are higher quality and also more expensive, you have to showcase why that is. Otherwise, you're just no, you're just more expensive for no reason. And so that's why we showcase everything that we don't use. And it's funny because we had a firm we were working with a long time ago at the beginning when we started to have these no's said that in marketing, you can't say no. You, you have to, you should, you know, a rule of thumb is to say what you have. When you say no, that's, that's not really the, the way that it's done. And we, we stood firm on that. And I, I think a lot of brands since then have kind of started doing this, but I will say we were one of the first to do it. Yeah. And it's funny because it's become such a part of our brand. And it's obviously consistent with kind of the trajectory of health and wellness. People want to know what's not in their food, but it was just so funny at the beginning when we were told, well, you don't really want to do that. And, you know, we, we did like we do with everything with you. We do it our way. We take advice. Don't get me wrong. And we listen to, to experts and people. But when we know something is right, we stick by it. And this was one of those things. And it, and it became such a such a huge part of of our branding. Yeah, we were told we, we were told over the years that we're crazy, nuts, insane a number of times. For the first one was obviously watching a restaurant. Uh, based on this sort of like gluten-free paleo style of eating, which again, back then was, was really sort of out there. And, uh, and then we were also told we were nuts, you know, for cooking in coconut oil versus vegetable oils. Like all these things we were told we were nuts about, uh, but we said, no, this is the way the world is going. And this is what we do personally. And this is what our business is going to be. We were also, just like just said, we were also told that we were nuts by putting a list of no's on the front of our packaging. Because everything has to be positive and, and fluffy and like everything's, you know, and we're like, no, that's not the reality. That's not how the world works. You know, it's just not. And people appreciate being told and uh, what's not in their product and what's in their product. So. Well, it's amazing that you guys listen to your intuition and your like gut instincts for that. Because if you listen to all these like quote marketing experts from people in the past, then you would just be like every other package good on the shelf. But you're not because you're doing exactly what you guys felt was right and like as a, from a consumer perspective, like I'd rather someone say to me like, don't like, no, this is like not stuff you should be looking for when it, when you're picking up, whether it's like chocolate covered nuts or a chocolate bar or crackers or whatever it is, you make it so easy for the consumer to know kind of what to shy away from. And if you go into a whole foods and you're not entirely familiar with quote, healthier eating, you want it to be as like easy and in your face as possible. So you have the chocolate bars the next innovation from there were the hunks, correct? Yeah. So it's funny. It's I'm, And like I said, I'm actually sitting with the chocolate-covered almonds, which the almonds and the cashews are like truly my favorite, I think my favorite products from you guys ever because I used to love the chocolate-covered almonds, the dark chocolate-covered almonds from Trader Joe's. And I never even knew what the shiny glaze was that was like on it that made them like, you know, so like pretty. No one knows what, well, until we started putting it on our packaging. Nobody knew what it was. Yeah, and I'm looking at it. It says like no shiny glaze, which is awesome that you guys put that because then it makes you question, oh, wow, like what is that shiny glaze on there? I never, like, yeah, it makes it look like pretty and shiny, but what is it really? So I'd love to talk about like the birth of hunks and kind of how them, how they came about because you guys are the only ones on the market that are like, healthy and clean, shine free and actually <laughs> shine free. <laughs> I like that, right? So that's good. Shine free. I'm gonna use that. Yeah. So uh, a natural progression uh, after our chocolate bar line was to uh, launch obviously different types of chocolates given our production capabilities. And so uh, we said, okay, we have the capability to do chocolate covered nuts and fruits using the chocolate that we're, it's the same chocolate, obviously in, in our chocolate bars. And um, when we start to look into that, um, just like every other product we've done since day one, we look at what is uh, sort of the conventional wisdom or what are products in this subcategory? What do they always look like, right? What's typically in those types of products? And turned over the, turned over the packaging on a bunch of these types of products and we realized, okay, what is this confectioner's glaze? What is this shellac? You know? And then we started asking, why is this stuff always shiny? You know, just because something looks pretty doesn't mean that it's better for you, right? Ugly food is ugly food, 
it's usually uh, uh, more natural, more organic, and ultimately better for you and, and simpler in, in, in the hue in, in the way that we assess them. So we looked into a little more and wanted to maintain the vegan nature of our chocolate line. And so we said, okay, we are not going to have this product, which is usually, I mean, I urge everyone to Google what the stuff is. Um, it, it's uh, typically from like a, a beetle or a bug resin, insect resin, that is used to make this this product that makes these uh, these chocolate covered items very very shiny and pristine looking. And that just wasn't our style. And so we said, okay, we're not going to use this. No one really knows, and the masses don't really know what this ingredient is. And it's a, it's certainly a weird ingredient, and we are not going to include it in our product. Yeah, our our hunks might like, might not look shiny. They might not look the prettiest. But they're better for you and they're simpler and so that's how that came about but it was really it was really just a, another iteration of what our chocolate chocolate bars were with, with that list of notes and we had this new ingredient that we were avoiding and we wanted to showcase i think also it's important to note rachel that we talked about before how sometimes we, we or often we go with our intuition uh certainly with with the restaurant and then the products that we've developed since then we look at what we would want to be eating from a nostalgic standpoint or things that because we're eating this cleaner way of eating or eating real foods, what are we missing? What do we wish we could have? And that goes back to the mash bar when Jordan used to kind of put this mash together in, in the restaurant uh, at home that translated into the restaurant. It goes to, you know, back to the chicken tenders, to the chocolate, to the chocolate covered nuts, because once we realized what was in them, we weren't eating those things anymore. Um, and that's how we got onto crackers, which I'm sure we'll get to later, but we really look at what, what is missing. If you're eating this kind of way for your life, what do you wish you could be eating? What do we wish that we could be eating? And then we go to create it. I'm going to start getting requests of everything that I wish that I had. Give us a list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like Jeff said, it's like, it's like, and we put this on a lot of our packaging. We had a lot of obviously, you know, childhood nostalgic foods that, we stopped eating over time because there were really no clean, good versions of it with good ingredients. And so Hugh has always been uh, in the camp of recreating those things in the Hugh style, still maintaining the deliciousness of it, still, you know, quote unquote, hitting the spot, uh, but done through a much simpler ingredient methodology. No, I love that. And that also brings me to the next, the gems or crackers? I feel like you guys like cranked out three new innovations in the yeah. last couple of years. Yeah. I don't know, the, the why, don't, why, don't we, why don't we stay with chocolate and, and do chocolate gems? Gems. So next up came gems, which for those of you who don't know, are like the perfect baking and snacking, like almost I would say like little chocolate chips that are shaped in like gem form. Now I used to cut up and I still do for some recipes when I want like a specific like texture of chocolate, but like chop up the chocolate. When I found out about the gems, I'm like, this is amazing chocolate chips that are like ready to rock they also they melt like no other like they truly melt and ooze like no other chocolate in the entire world like and i think i've tried almost every chocolate at least i like to think in the entire world so do you guys want to talk about the birth of those a little bit a little bit of background every year from when we went to our first expo west trade show which was what jordan 24 2015. Yeah. 15 we went? Yeah. Every single time people would come up to us and say, oh my God, can you make this in a baking version? Oh my God, can you? Every, every year. And, and then it's funny because between me and Jordan and Jason, you know, Jordan, Jason and I would be like, we have to do this now. Everybody wants it. And Jordan, you know, being kind of the sense of like, well, we're not there yet. We can't do it now. But it was, it was one of our, I would say it's definitely was our, our most requested product before we did it. And we knew we wanted to do it for a very long time. Um, we just had to get to the point of, you know, from a production standpoint, and I can let Jordan talk about that, but, but it was something that was really demanded again by us, because again, same thing, we, we wanted to bake. And so we would cut up our own chocolate and sometimes that was annoying and we want, wished we had chips, but it was, it was really also the people that spoke to us and said, this is what we're demanding. Yeah, totally. And, uh, stepping back for a second, the, like we said before, Hue chocolate really started as a, as a baking chocolate. That was, that was one of the main reasons why we had it in the first place. And so what's interesting is that with gems, uh, the chocolate line has sort of come full circle, right? Started as baking and then it really took off as bars and then it came back full circle as this baking item uh, that, we, that we now call gems. But, Although I just eat handfuls of it. Yeah, yeah. Way more than I, I definitely bake with it, but I just yeah. 
handfuls of it all the time. It's very yeah. dangerous. So, so once we had, once we realized we had the ability to do this, um, we said, okay, you know, how are we going to market this? And what we realized was that in reality, and Rachel, you're, you're a baker, you probably know this better than anyone. In reality, when you get, um, you know, chocolate chips or chocolate chunks in a bag, right? What happens in reality? It sits in your fridge and you snack on it just as much as you bake with it, right? So we said, that's actually interesting. That's what people in real life do. Let's call it snacking and baking chocolate because that's what it is. And um, so we launched this product, Jen, snacking and baking chocolate, and people used it for both. It was right on packaging that it's probably for both. And it, it really took off and people love the shape of it. It's not uh, a shape that's typical of, of chocolate chunks. It's like Jess said, it's a, in the shape of a hexagon. It almost looks like gushers. I don't remember those that, those candy oh, gushers from back in the day. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, it's a unique shape, but for some reason that shape sort of like pops in your mouth when you bite it. Uh, that was, you know, sort of unintended, but that's really what happened. And uh, people love it. It's just, it's another occasion. Uh, I would say two occasions for eating huge chocolate. It's just sort of snacking, hit, you know, scoop one up, pop it in your mouth. And then there's the baking aspect of it. And uh, it, do, it does melt very well. It makes good for uh, some really good food porn. And um, so people absolutely love that product. No, it's amazing. And like I said, it, when people always ask, how do you melt your chocolate so well for photos and like whatever else, I mean, I, what do you add to it? You don't have to add anything to the chocolate to melt it. I put it in the microwave or in a saucepan and within 15 to 30 seconds, it's melted into this perfectly like lava-like chocolate that's just spectacular. Then you guys went from sweet, to did a 180 and did your first savory innovation for retailers. Now the crackers, do you want to talk a little bit about those and kind of what inspired you to make crackers? Was that another like request from, from consumers as well? I, that was more along the lines of we missed crackers in a, in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, we used to eat wheat thins as kids constantly. I still miss wheat thins a little bit. I know. But, I really <laughs> We would have been like food besties, girl. <laughs> Diet, Coke. Diet Coke, 100 calorie packs, and wheat thins. Wow. Blueber blueberries and sweet and low. Hey, oh don't share that information with other people. We're on a podcast here. So. I used a lot of equal and sweet and low in my day as well, um, to disgusting degrees, actually. But we, we really as we thought about expanding out of, or in a dip, not out of, but in a, you know, expanding into products that were not just chocolate. We, again, we, we missed crackers and we, we thought there was a great opportunity, which I'll let Jordan talk about a little bit for, for us to differentiate ourselves in the cracker market in the, in the way that we do with everything that we do in terms of our ingredients versus some of the other crackers that are out there as well. No, hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, just hit the nail on the head. And, um, you know, chocolate, I never personally grew up loving chocolate. I was, I was always more of like a vanilla guy, cookie guy, you know. Candy. Baked. You ate a lot yeah. of candy. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not like we were like, we love chocolate. We have to create our own chocolate. It was really a need based on this brand. And, and the brand is obviously not called huge chocolate, right? It was designed to be a platform brand that can go in any, any, any number of, uh, which, uh, any number of directions based on what we saw in the market, what we were capable of. Of, of producing. And so um, we always had aspirations of doing baked goods and crackers. And uh, what's interesting, a lot of people don't know this, is we, we actually had crackers, our own branded crackers in the restaurant going back to maybe 2014, 2015. It was a very I different product. We had those? Yeah, it was a very different product. Um, it was a raw, uh, dehydrated product that was difficult to make, but they were really good. And people loved them, but they, they didn't go anywhere outside of the restaurant. It was always sort of, you know, in the dugout waiting to, to become, to, to come to life once we had properly uh, put our chocolate business um, on a trajectory of really growing. And so um, once we uh, were confident that our chocolate was in a good place, we said, okay, let's start the process of, of our baked, baked goods line. And um, so, so we took that, that recipe, which was a raw dehydrated recipe and turned it into something for, that could be, that was a baked product, right? much easier to make, much better for shelf life, much better as a, as a proper packaged good outside of the restaurant. And um, just like everything else that we do at Hue, there were some things that we wanted to do that were very different, not only within the broader cracker space, but even differentiated from the gluten-free space and even differentiated from other grain-free uh, baked goods. And um, just some of those are 
Uh, we don't use any refined starches. We don't use potato starch. We don't use tapioca or tapioca starch. Um, we use the, the full cassava flour. Um, we don't use any vegetable oils in our product, um, which has really been uh, a rule since day one of Hue. And, um, you know, it, that makes them uh, more expensive, makes them uh, more uh, difficult to make, but we think it's ultimately a, a better, higher quality product for our end consumers. And, um, you know, the, the, the crackers have really taken off in the last, let's say, six months to a year. It started out as a um, e-commerce only to sort of uh, proof of concept, see what people like or didn't like, make tweaks. And now we've landed in a place that we're very happy uh, with. And um, you, know, you can see that you can see those now in Whole Foods all throughout the country. Um, so we're very, very, very proud of that pivot from something we were comfortable with, chocolate, restaurants, to something totally different, uh, baked goods. And I think a lot of that, the, the reason why we, we felt comfortable doing it is that our brand, not just as a chocolate company, but just as a brand, which included the restaurant at the time, was at a place where we had a loyal following, people understood who we were, our, our strength of brand and presence of brand was strong enough that we felt that moving into the baking category was was warranted at that at that point and, and that it wouldn't cause any other problems to other pieces of the business, but just would help it grow and expand. And I think getting there, you know, it took it took a long time to get there. I mean, we, we opened the restaurant in 2012, but getting there, having the brand strength really allowed us to go into crackers. Yeah, just just really said it well when she said, you know, when we were younger, we would I mean, it was, we ate so many crackers. It was usually wheat thins and all sorts of stuff. And as we got older, and especially when we started to look into what, you know, ultimately would become Hue, those just didn't fit the bill for us. So we were, we were excited to create something that we could personally eat, uh, sort of nonstop and feel good about. Well, you could also use them crushed up as breadcrumbs. Like I make like, mm -hmm. you, can make yep. it. you can like use it for meatballs for like the breadcrumbs. And that's always like my favorite way to repurpose like the bottom of the bag because it's inevitable to have like some crumbs of crackers sure. or, chips or whatever it is at the bottom. Sure. Um, that's like my I favorite. I pour them way. on salads like croutons. That's such a good idea too. Yeah, I love that. And also it proves, you know, everyone associates you as a chocolate brand because that's like what, you know, you first made your splash into the space with. But it's also saying, oh, wow, like you could be up to some other things. Like they went from chocolate to some chocolate covered nuts to gems and now crackers. So are there any other product innovations in the works that you were like comfortable talking about that you think people might be excited about? There are, but we can't discuss them here now, but you will be the first one to know, I promise you, when it, right before it gets launched. But there are, you know, new types of chocolate bars that, we're, that we are launching new flavors um, of, of, from all of our different lines of chocolate. Um, and, you know, ultimately there will be new cracker flavors and other things. So um, that's all, that's really all we can get into now. But Rachel, you will be the first one to know. I mean, I always say I volunteer as a taste tester. Anything, <laughs> I got you. Um, I've also been like begging. I spoke to Mark, um, your CEO, for those who, for the listeners who don't know, a few, I think it was like a couple months ago, and I'm like begging for peanut butter cups. Like, mm. please, please make peanut butter cups and <laughs> make them like a Trader Joe's. Like, because I yeah. actually I made, you know, the peanut butter blossom cookies with like the soft baked peanut butter cookie that has like a Hershey kiss in the middle. I made them and I used the Trader Joe's peanut butter cups because you can't find other ones that mm. are like okay to use. And yesterday, like I'm saying, was I really need Hugh to make me like mini <laughs> peanut butter cups and chocolate covered peanuts. Those are my two requests. So if they ever yeah. come out, please just let me know. We will. We will. I actually did want to bring up one other thing uh, about the brand, which I realized, because I didn't realize this for the last almost 10 years, that this was a hand. The U yeah. is a hand. Let's yeah. talk about the logo and like Hugh and also just like the phrase getting back to human mm -hmm. um, in case it goes above a lot of people's heads like it did myself for numerous years until my mom and Jordan pointed it out to me. <laughs> That's too fine. Yeah. So we love the concept of human. And um, as everyone knows, you know, the, the sort of the cliche of paleo is like caveman, all this kind of stuff, which is not really the reality of it. But what we realized was that um, our goal is to make the human body sort of function, uh, behave the best way possible through this style of eating, through simpler ingredients, through healthier ingredients. And what we realized was that, you know, you, you sort of have to like, you know, forward progress is very good in most things in life, right? Technology increases, it's always good. But when it comes to food, 
a lot of the food technology has actually made people worse over the last 30, 40, 50 years from all the food science that, that's, that's, that's gone on. So in order for the human body to work the best, for people to feel the best, you actually have to eat simpler foods. And in order to, what we like to say, get back to being as human as possible, get your body back to thriving and functioning and doing everything that it should be doing, sort of at full throttle with nothing holding it back. And that's really what get back to human originally stood for was being healthier through these alternative ingredients. The definition of get back to human has morphed over the years to include now humanity initiatives that we that we do as an organization, some really terrific stuff. But that's really where what get back to human means. We want it to be our sort of like just do it. This all encompass all encompassing phrase that 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 um, uh, helped us explain what it is that we do. Now the actual logo, Q obviously stands for human, and it was originally just an H and a U. And um, we just sort of thought that was kind of boring. Uh, we didn't want. We didn't know if people would think it was who or huh. So what, we still the, do sometimes anyway. Yeah, that's okay. What are the, yeah, one of the early iterations had a you know had a line over the U to make people uh, show that it was a long U. We didn't like that. That was kind of boring. And then um, we said you know maybe we could turn the U into human body, something like that. And then nothing really worked. And we came up with this the, the ring, which. Um, you know, we did some research on it, what it could mean. And a lot of times it meant the same thing as you, the sound you. And then we said, let's turn it into a hand because that's actually a human hand and it fits really well with the name human and get back to human. And so it took off and it's turned into this sort of like foraging mystique thing. No one really knows what it's doing. Is it grabbing an apple? Is it, you know, many, many things. And we just love the logo, what it looked like. Um, and we love that it incorporated, uh, you know, a part of the human body. Amazing. Thanks for breaking that down for me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to chat with us. I'd love for you to just tell everyone where they could find, learn, and find and learn more about you and the Hue brand and anything else that you wanted to share with us. It's nice okay. to work with family. I'll say yeah. that. <laughs> my brother and my husband, a shout out. It's nice, nice to work with family. Totally. Okay. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, you can learn all about us from our website. We're, uh, we're close to 5,000 stores, uh, soon to be over 5,000 stores throughout the country. So you can find us in many places, Whole Foods, you, you know, a lot of different stores with our chocolate, our crackers. Go to our Instagram, HughKitchen, at HughKitchen, and our website, HughKitchen.com. And you can learn a lot about the brand and, uh, and our philosophy on food. Amazing. Thank you guys so much. Rachel, thank you so much. So nice to see your face. Thank it's been you. too long.